You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Well, I, um, <clears throat> one of my favorite things to do, I coach my sons, not right now, he's not in season, but I like to coach my son's baseball team. And um, <clears throat> it's fun and I enjoy it. It is not all joy, I have to say, working with teenage boys and trying to get them to you know, do the things that you're trying to tell them to do. And there's this one kid in particular whose name I will not say who um, would get on first base. He was the king of walks. Poor kid got either hit by pitch or he'd got walked on four pitches every time. And he would come down to first. And I finally got to a point where I was coaching first base. I would go like meet him as he's walking down and I would go, just remember, on the first pitch, you are going to steal. On the first pitch, you're going to steal. Got it? Got it. And I, then I would have to be like, tell me what I just said. I got it on the first pitch. I'm going to steal. On the first, okay, good. So first pitch, whether or not I say something, no matter what, on the first pitch, what are you going to do? Steal. All right. First baseman can hear us talking about it. Don't care. We're going to steal on the first pitch. And he's on the bag. And so he'd sit there like this. And his leadoff was usually like this. And I'm like, you got to get a leadoff. But he wanted, I think he wanted to be able, if the pitcher threw over, to be able to just kind of put his foot out and touch the bag. But I would go get a bigger lead, bigger lead bigger lead, bigger lead. And then the pitcher, and if you've ever played baseball or softball too, I get, well, no, softball's got to hit the catcher, but um, baseball, as soon as the pitcher commits to going towards home plate, you take off. And you know, they're 15 year old. They, they don't, some, some of them can tell, some of them can't. And so my job on first was to usually go, go, and just give a little thing like that. Go, go. And, you know, most baseball coaches, you have like all the, the hokey pokey looking thing. Like you got all these complicated signals that you're doing. So it's very secret what you're doing. And I would just straight up go, you know, you're stealing on the first pitch. Okay, good. You know that. Go. And I would tell him to go. And this one kid in particular would get a lead. And the kids usually, the batter's usually taking a pitch so he can get, like he's not going to swing so he can get to second base. And um, so first base is open. So he, he would get a lead and he needs to go on the first pitch. And now you're going on the first pitch. You know to go on the first pitch. Say it back to me. Good. All right. Go. And he would just kind of hoo-dee-doo back to first base. And I remember, and I'd look at him and I'd go, what just happened? Like, was it not clear what you were supposed to do? Yeah, you, did you know what you were supposed to do? And he's like, yes. You wanted me to steal, right? And I said, yes. 
That's why I told you 12 times on the way here. And then I said, go. And you were supposed to go. And he's like, and that means steal. I was like, yes, that means steal or go. Like, go to the next base. And so, and so I'd go, okay, so this time you're going to steal, right? You got it. This pitch. I don't care who hears me. He's stealing on the first pitch. And he gets a little lead, a little lead. And he did the exact same thing. And he came back and the batter's just looking like, would you please steal and get to second? And the third base coach is like, what is wrong with you, Jim? Get him to second base. So I finally did something different. And batters over there, I kind of turned this way so I can see the pitcher and so I can see him. And I go, get a lead, get a lead. And I literally just started going, you're going to steal. Get a lead, get a lead. When I say steal, steal. And I'm just saying it and everybody can hear it. And the third base coach is just over there like, he better go on this pitch. And then the pitcher sets up like this. And I kid you not, he goes like this and I go, steal really loud, <laughs> please steal. And he did, and he got to second base. And everybody was so excited that he got to second base. And he got there and I was like, oh, thank you. And between innings, I was like, what happened? And he's like, oh, I just, I wasn't clear on what you wanted me to do. He's like, I said, steal. And so the joke was he would get on first and I would go, steal like that every single time. And he was like hesitant because he's like, what if I get thrown out? Because he wasn't like the fastest one. He wasn't slow. He wasn't like the fastest one on the team. And so he thought, if I get out, I've just let down all of my teammates and I got us an out and I don't want to do it. And I don't want to be that kid. And so I had to say, <laughs> sorry, if you get thrown out, it's my fault. I'm the one that told you to steal. As long as you do what I say, if you get thrown out, it's okay. Steal. In fact, you know what I told him? I did tell him once. I go, it's way more fun on second base than first base. You ought to go over there. And he's like, really? Okay. And then he started stealing like every pitch. I'm like, oh, man. So here I am as his coach, just trying to get him to do something. And I finally just had to take off any hint of like secret signals or anything. And I just had to go, just steal. And I just yelled it for the whole world to see. And I didn't, I didn't care. Because otherwise he was just hesitant and he would go off a little bit and kind of be leaning back and forth. And I just wanted him, just go, just get ready. He's like not getting the lead anyway. He's going to be able to get back. Just go, just go, just steal. And as I look at what Jesus is saying today, that's the first image that came to mind is I see Christians, periods of our life where we might be on first base and just sort of like, do I, do I go or do I not? And Jesus is going, steal, like just, just go, run. Like, obey me and obey me now and live into the fullness of the joy of what I have for you. And there's times that was kind of a, oh, I hear you, Jesus, but I didn't like that pitch and I'm just gonna come right back. What Jesus is gonna say through this today is very simply, the best time to obey is now. That's what he's gonna say. Go, steal, obey, follow me is what he's gonna do. And so I get to do what I did with this kid. I'm gonna do that today and be your first base coach going, go, that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Anything that maybe God is calling you to do, your, your spiritual growth, maybe it's for some of you coming to faith in him. Maybe it's having a, a, a spiritual conversation with someone that you're close to. Whatever it is, I want you to leave here feeling like, steal, go, do it. Obey and obey now. That's what God has for you. Why wait? And you can see, like, I, I should be able to do this like two or three times a year right? Or maybe a month, I guess. I don't know. Because this can be the pattern we get in that we go, I had this big, you know, full head of steam. And then over time, you know, life happens. And so we just sort of slow down a little bit. And we need that reminder of just go, just go steal.
And what Jesus is going to say here is he's going to give a couple reasons why we justify uh, the temptations we can have anyway to justify this procrastination in our life. He's going to say a couple things. One, he's going to say is a faith issue. Do I really, really trust in this God that I'm called to obey? Because if we're not, that's just easy to go, "Mm, I don't know if I really believe. And then the second one is we get into this thinking, I have all the time in the world to do that. And Jesus is going, now. And in case anything I say comes across as guilt or shame or manipulating or arm twisting, please know this. He is going to end up this whole text with the the reason we do this to say, he's going to give the most beautiful picture of the grace of God. For all the times we've fallen, you said it in your prayer, Sean, all the times we've fallen, it is God there picking us up and giving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it's, um, it's an interesting thing that Jesus chooses to do because he, he does this by using two incidents that you and I don't really know anything about. Did you hear it when they were read? We've got, there were some present at that very time, these are Jewish leaders especially, who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Or verse four, it says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Salome fell and killed them, which are not stories we heard in vacation Bible school, but that's what's happening. And so um, Gal- uh, um, Pilate was taking Galileans, apparently he had them killed and he was putting their blood in sacrifices and offering it. And then there was this tragedy of this tower that fell and killed 18 people, I think it says. Yeah, 18 people. And it's odd because these stories aren't mentioned any place else. And so for us to know exactly the history and to sort of add more color behind it, we're not sure exactly what happened other than what we have here. In fact, people tend to go to one of two camps. I, I read a ton of different scholars and theologians and everything. Um, when I'm preparing these, I spend a lot of time just in the text, but then I read commentaries and things like that. And there's one guy that will not take any stance on any issue. And he just goes, well, here's four different ways people have thought about it. And he just lists them all out as though they're all equally valid. And I still read him. And then there's another guy that I read that is the opposite, that he knows everything about everything. And in fact, of all the commentators that I read about this, um, this guy was the only one that I could find that said, now let me explain what's happening here in this incident with Pilate and the Galileans and the tower that fell. And everybody else that I read is going, we're not really sure because we don't have... Um, we don't have other historical records. All we know is about this. But somewhere, this guy didn't cite any sources. He just declares what was happening. And he tells about some story. I'm like, wow, this guy's the only guy that has that. I don't know. He might be right. I actually don't know. But I'm reading this guy, and, and it made me think. When I read him, even though he didn't cite any sources, um, even though everybody else would start out by saying something like, since this is all we know about it, we should be careful making a lot of assumptions. However, this might be something that he had in mind, blah, 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 something like that. And this guy goes, nope, I know it. And he just started sharing it. And I found something odd happen to me. I started, instead of being comfortable just going, I don't know everything about this incident, I started feeling more comfortable that somebody was just saying it and saying it emphatically. Because one of the ways our brains are wired are if we, if we don't have an answer to something, then this is all really subconscious. Um, we will take a wrong answer as opposed to an I don't know. 
Oftentimes we'll say, well, that's good. He's given an answer. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I'll take the wrong answer because to not have an answer is difficult. And as we look at these texts and as Jesus is starting to walk us through this, the first thing we have to do is go, he's giving some texts that we don't really know much about, which is difficult for us as, um, as children of the Enlightenment. If you don't know much about the Enlightenment, um, it is uh, something that had some merit and good things, but for the most part, it has um, infected the way we think in remarkable ways for the negative. So if you think about it, um, so the Enlightenment was in the 18th century. It started really sort of in Europe and and really spread through the West. Um, And the biggest thing that they did is you used to say, if God speaks and we don't understand it, we don't care. We're just going to do it anyway. Okay? Um, It is, we... we acknowledge there's something divine. We acknowledge something supernatural. We acknowledge something transcendent. And then all of a sudden, the Enlightenment started sweeping through Europe. And the biggest thing it did is it said the primary source of authority and legitimacy is reason. Reason. It has to make perfect sense. I have to have an answer to everything. And I don't want to be this guy that goes, well, nothing. it's almost like he's going, well, nothing can be known. I don't want to be that. I want to press into the things where there's confusion or there's questions. But I, I also, I don't want to be someone that just goes, I'd rather just give you an answer rather than pretend I don't know the answer to that yet. But as really children of the Enlightenment, reason has replaced this idea of God, to be quite honest, which what happens. Then it's, if it doesn't make sense to me, it can't be true. And so functionally what's happened is mankind has replaced God. You see what happened? And so it's difficult when we see this to start going, well, we don't have all these answers. They would have known. Jesus is trying to use something that they would have known, that they would have understand. But here's us going, we don't have all these answers. And if you think about one of the reasons that we are hesitant to go to, to, to have that spiritual conversation with someone, to go and to share Christ, or even to come to faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time, is all the what ifs. I still have questions and I, I need to get all those answered before I step out in faith. Did you catch the irony of what I just said? I have to have all the answers before I step out in faith. That's not stepping out in faith. That's stepping out in reason and logic, and that's it, and taking God out of it. And it's really a way that I can have control as I'm moving through life. I had a guy in college that discipled me, and um, he, he, was, um, he was not nice sometimes. Like, I felt like some of the advice he gave was, it, sometimes it was condescending, but for whatever reason, I needed to hear it that way. Um, and like, I felt like at the end of everything he said, it could just be dummy, and it would have worked. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I, I had talked about someone in college I wanted to share with, and I said, but I don't know if I can, because if I go and have this spiritual conversation, I don't think he's going to like it. It's going to ruin the relationship, and it's just, it's not going to work, so I'm just going to build a relationship with him. And so I spent forever, like, building a relationship and, and he, he pointed out a couple things. He said, there is something you don't know, which is how he's going to respond, and you are assuming he's going to respond this certain way. What if he's going to respond the other way? What if God has been preparing him, preparing him, and then you get to be the one to come in, and he's going, thank God someone came and talked to me about this. I've been wondering those things. But the thing he said, because I was saying it might ruin my relationship with him, and he said, so what you're telling me is you'd rather he have a relationship with you than with Jesus. Dummy. Like, that's what he could have put at the end of that. See what I mean? 
And for whatever reason, as a young punk, like 19, 20, whatever, Christian guy, but uh, you know, still something he said, I went, oh yeah, oh yeah. If this is for his good, that he might have a relationship with Jesus and experience the joy that I've experienced, this is great. I hope it doesn't cost me the relationship. But if it does, if it's for his good, so be it. All these things we don't know. Like what if I talk to him and he asks me a question I don't know the answer? Or um, what about just forgetting that the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in those moments? You know, I think about Moses when God came to Moses and said, um, hey, here's what I'm gonna get you to do. I'm gonna get you to go and speak to Pharaoh. And Moses, the first thing he says is he's like, well, here's the one thing I'm not good at, God speaking. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who is it that made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Or back in Luke chapter 12, um, the disciples are gonna be brought before the rulers, the authorities, and they're gonna have to give an answer. And they're probably wrestling with the same things you and I would. Like, what am I gonna say if I got dragged before somebody? When, and Jesus says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, this is Luke 12, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. What can happen is we go, I want to trust in my preparation for all the possible eventualities so I can be prepared for them before I'm obedient to God and walking in the mystery. And he goes, Jesus goes, steal, just go. The Holy Spirit will be with you. You can assume worst case scenario and that's a big wall, but the reality is what if you did the opposite? What if God has prepared them and you for a time like this, go. That's what he calls them to do. So um, <clears throat> this is the tough part. Why wait? Or why don't, why don't we wait? Like, why don't we just go now? Like, what is the thing that keeps us from actually doing it? And Jesus is going to address that. But this is a hard one, if you're like me, to just get through our thick skulls a little bit. Why can't I wait? Jesus is gonna address that a little bit. What he's gonna say is um, they are thinking that they have infinite time and the reason, or extended time, a long, long, long life. And the reason they think they do is because they're so good and holy and righteous. And so Jesus is about to just upend that. So if you remember, we had the story of the Galileans whose uh, blood, was, or the Pilate was mixing their blood and sacrifices. And Jesus says, uh, in verse two, it says, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So did you catch what he just said? He just said, you think your goodness is necessarily gonna get you the favor of God in longevity of life. And so by extension, all these people that were killed, they must've been horrible people, right? And they all went, hmm or the tower that fell on them. He says, verse four, do you think that they were worse offenders, the people the tower fell on, than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They are saying, my goodness should give me the blessing of God in longevity of life. And Jesus goes, I'm gonna give you two examples where you are gonna be forced to say the reason the tower fell on them is because you think they were bad people and that's what they deserved. 
that um, the reason why those Galileans got killed and now they're in the sacrifice and Pilate did that is because they were bad people. Is that what you think, Pharisees? And they're forced to go, oh, no. No. But that was the common thought was, if I am good enough, God owes me long life. And so if that were the case, yeah, take your time. That's one of the things that Jesus is trying to communicate. Of course, the problem with thinking if I'm just good enough, that means I get long life on this earth in the way that I want it. There's a bunch of problems with it. The Bible seems to say the opposite, and I won't go into it, but look at the life of Jesus, who is the goodest person that ever lived. And here he is. What happens? He's betrayed. He goes to the cross and he's crucified. So actions aren't just the, um, the thing that says, now I get this thing that I want. And that's what they were doing. They were thinking, I've got infinite time because I am so good, or I've got a lot of time because I'm so good. And here, here's the reality that we have to wrestle with is your longevity in life, you can marginally control at best. Your longevity in life, you can marginally control at best. If you find out you have a heart condition, you can change your diet. That's good and wise, and that may help. If you're um, living in a dangerous neighborhood, you can work hard and get a different job and move and get in a safer neighborhood. I, I, like There's some of those little things you can do to sort of up the percentages, but um, I want to ask this. Don't raise your hand, but I want to ask this, and I hope this comes across in the, ten in the tenderness with which I mean it. Um, getting to know people here at Rockland, if I were to ask the question this hour or the first service, um, do you know anybody in your life that died unexpectedly? Somebody dear to you, close to you, or even maybe real good friend of a real good friend? I didn't ask people to raise their hand and I'm not going to. My guess is it is easily 50% probably closer to 75% of our congregation would have to say, that's me. Why wait? Why not now? Our, our next breath isn't promised to us. But I really do wonder if we can actually get in that mindset to go, man, what if, what if, what if? And, and let, me, let me try and put it a little differently because he's really trying to spur us on to say, go now. And, um, and, and I, if you're like me, I'm good at coming up with excuses in the moment of how busy I am, of why this particular life stage doesn't work for me to be obedient to God and do the things he's called me to do. Well, I'm, I'm in college and I'm just so busy and I'm just so crazy and I'm just trying to live my life. Well, now I'm out of college and so um, now I've, you know, I'm starting a family and so I've got this wife and so I've got to figure that out. And well, now we have kids, so it's not really time I can, I can focus on that. I need to focus on this. And now I'm building my career. And so to build my career, there's just not time. And um, I, I've got to spend all the time doing this, but pretty soon I'll, I'll be able to do it. And then, oh my goodness, now the kids are in middle school and now, now the kids are in high school. And, and many of, some of you that are retired would be able to say too, you're retired and then maybe there's like grandkids and, and the busyness in life never relents. And there's always, always, always some excuse to say, I'm gonna get to that later. And I bet you, if I were to ask in this room, I won't have you raise your hands again. Sorry for two baseball analogies in the same message, but um, have, has life ever thrown you a curveball? where you had your plans 
And you thought, oh, fastball right down the middle. And all of a sudden it went whoop and went over there. People that just a little while ago would have been thinking, I, I've got someone close to me or a friend of a friend that, that passed, like that would be one. Maybe a curveball in life came of some money in a good way. You came into it or maybe some money that you lost, a job that you got offered or a job that you lost or health news positively or negatively. I bet you 100% of the people that have gathered would say life threw me a curveball at some point. That's just how life works. So let me me put these together. If we're not careful, what Jesus is saying, we can be paralyzed today into spiritual action because we have this fantasy, this myth, that the future is necessarily going to be better. Well, in the future, it's gonna be more conducive for me to get serious about my faith. In the future, my circumstances will change. I, I just know I can't right now, but in the future, at some point out there, I know that things will be better and it'll be more conducive to have that conversation, to engage in a church, to engage in ministry, to mentor a young person. And what we just proved was life is just curveball after curveball after curveball after curveball. And we don't know it. And so if you don't buy the, well, what if I die? I mean, maybe. But think about this. There's not some magical time out there that then everything will be easier. Do it now. I had a conversation with a woman this week. She came in and she talked to me and she said, um, she said, I'm just trying to figure out what God wants me to do with my life and I'm ready to go and I've got all this energy and, and she was just on and on and on about trying to figure out. She's like, I'm, I'm, she's, she's an adult and you know, I feel like I should have some of this figured out but I wanna learn and I wanna grow and was just on and on. And it was such a cool conversation and part of the reason it was such a cool conversation is she had just celebrated her 90th birthday. <laughs> and she's in there going, what's next for me? How does God want me to obey him in this next little phase, however long I have left? I don't know what I said. I was just excited the whole time. And I thought, I'd like to be like her someday. I pray I never get to a point where I go, someday my circumstances will be better. This, my future circumstances will be more conducive to obedience. Jesus is saying, nah, now. And then lastly, are we supposed to be moved by guilt? Nope. Moved by grace. Look at what he says. He says, he told this parable. He says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Do you know what a fig tree is and what they would have clearly understood a fig tree to be? It was the nation Israel. It was in their Bible that they had at that time, the Old Testament. The New Testament is like literally being written there. You know, it's happening right in front of them. Um, In the Old Testament, it referred to Israel as a fig tree. And so Jesus tells a story. So think about this, that there's someone looking and going, this fig tree is supposed to have borne fruit by now, and it's not. And so if you and I were God... And we saw people that said they were, think about like the Old Testament Israelites, followers of God, the ones who were entrusted with the Old Testament, the ones who brought the faith in Yahweh to that day, the ones that were awaiting the Messiah. And then there he is in front of them. And these leaders anyway have just missed it. If you and I were God, what would we do? Enough with you. I have given you hundreds of years and you have blown it and you have blown it and you have blown it and you have blown it. You know what I'm gonna do? Let's get rid of that fig tree. It's just taking up space. 
What does Jesus say? He answered him, sir, let it alone this year also. Give him another chance. Until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What he just said is I have given you chance after chance after chance after chance. And you should sort of slink your head a little bit like, I know, I know, go ahead, pronounce your judgment on me. And he goes, you got another chance. Obey now. What's the next faithful step that God might be talking to you and telling you to do today? The best time to obey is now. Have that conversation with that neighbor. Start praying for that neighbor right now, that person at work. Start praying. That's your step to just start praying. Don't wait. Don't someday I'll get to it, but just start praying. God work in their heart. Get a prayer routine in your life. Get up in the morning, knees hit the floor first and become a person of prayer. Oh, Jim, you don't understand. I'm not really a prayer. You need to be a prayer. Start doing it. You can do it. Steal. Have the joy of the Lord in following him. That's what he's calling us to do. Call that counselor. Maybe you've been putting that off. Join AA if that's what you need to do to be obedient to the Lord. We have a group that meets here, actually. Get in that life group. Go to the Bible study. Start engaging financially with other Christians by giving to the church. Find a young man or young woman that you can invest in. Find a way to serve. But we gotta be okay saying, I don't have all the answers, but I don't want us to believe the lie anymore that there's necessarily some future that's gonna make it easier for me to obey. I wanna obey now. And I want that for you. I just wrote this and I'll just read it. Imagine how hell will shake with fear if everybody in this church decided to start obeying now. <laughs>